morning, everyone. Uh, if I don't take a minute, I know I haven't done it for a while, take a minute to say hello to just the person beside you, behind you, just for two seconds as we are left reeling after that chapter. Okay. Okay, okay. Great. Uh, thanks, Emma, for doing our reading, and thanks to Stephen for leading us this morning. Uh, I've got a question for you to start. Do you think that we, and when I say we, I mean me and you and us as a church, do you think we underestimate, downplay, and trivialize the devil? Given his intentions to deceive and accuse and to destroy us. I'm not trying to be overdramatic or unsettle anyone, and these next 20 minutes or so are not going to be about him. I don't want to give Satan any more profile, any warrants. But this text, which is in part, and I'm sure some of you picked up on this, it is in part a Christmas text, albeit a slightly alternative one. But Revelation 12 does force us to acknowledge and realize the presence the purposes, and the potential of the enemy, and therefore to minimize him and his desires is or would be a grave mistake on our part, a mistake I fear I make far too easily. So, the devil is going to feature this morning, but as always, the ultimate focus is Jesus. And for those who started this series with us in September, you will remember that, that one of the reasons, if not the core reason I gave for us reading Revelation, is that we might know Christ better. That's why we're reading this letter together. The first five words of Revelation, if you remember, the first five words of chapter 1, verse 1 say this, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. And today's going to be no different. So, although other characters will and need to be considered, Jesus is and Jesus should always be front and center. Now, before we look at this chapter together, we need to go back to the end of the last one. Now, please, if you do have a Bible in front of you or on a device, keep, keep it open. But flick back to chapter 11, because a fortnight ago, we paused at the end of the pause between the blowing of the sixth and the seventh trumpet. So, we do need to go back, and we do need to hear the seventh trumpet. So, let me read from chapter 11. This is verse 15. It'll be on the screen for those who don't have a copy in front of them. This is verse, uh, verse 15 of chapter 11. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. So, there's the seventh trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Now, hang on a minute, because that sounds like the end. Like, that sounds like the very end. So, let's read on. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Now, what phrase is missing from that line, who is and who was, and who is to come? So, who is to come is now a present reality here. This is the end. Let's read on. The nations raged, but your wrath came 
and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. So, in other words, it's now time for ultimate judgment and ultimate reward. So, this really is, at the end of chapter 11, a reference to the end. It's arrived. But we're only halfway through the letter. You turn over the page, and you come to chapter 12, as we've done this morning, and there's more, which is a reminder. And for those who are following this series, you will know this. It is not sequential. It is not chronological. It is not linear. We have reached a climax at the end of chapter 11, yes, but there's more to share for another, from another perspective. We are about to see things from a different camera angle, if you like. That's what this is about. We're going to get a glimpse of reality through another window. And so, for example, we are about to double back to the first Christmas. We are about to double back even further than to the first Christmas. So, let's join John in chapter 12 as he reveals more of what he has seen, as he retells human history as a drama involving three characters. And those three characters are a woman, a red dragon, and a child. But who are they? And why are they so important? Well, the text tells us Sometimes it tells us explicitly, sometimes not so much, and so we're going to take them one at a time. So the description of the woman, or should I say the initial description of the woman is odd, to say the least. She is standing on the moon, she is clothed with the sun, and she has a crown of 12 stars on her head. Now, remember, there are lots of references in Revelation to the Old Testament. And so, this could be a reference back to Genesis 37, where Joseph, you know, of Technicolor coat fame, Joseph has a dream of the sun and the moon and of 11 stars bowing down to them because he is the 12th star. The sun is his dad, the moon is his mom, and so his dad is renamed Israel, and his 12 sons, Israel's Jacob's 12 sons, including Joseph, become the 12 tribes of Israel. Therefore, this woman could represent Israel, the people of God before Jesus. But there's more to hear. And the reason we can say there's more to hear, because look at the first verse with me. It says this, and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman. So, a sign, what does a sign do? A sign points beyond itself. So, in other words, there's more to this woman than meets the eye. Drop down to verse 5 with me if you've got a copy in front of you, and you discover that this woman gives birth to a male child, who, as we'll clarify in a moment, is Jesus. So, there's the spoiler. And so, this woman, who's this woman now? This woman's Mary. This, is, this woman is the mother of Jesus, or should I say this woman is also Mary? But there's more. Look at verse 6 and 14, because this woman flees into the wilderness where she is nourished by God. And in verse 17, the woman and the rest of her offspring are targets of the dragon in the wilderness. Reference to the wilderness, 
obviously recalls Israel's time in the desert, where, having been rescued from slavery in Egypt, they make their way towards the promised land. And on that journey, they face many twists and turns and highs and lows and ups and downs and challenges and temptations and setbacks and disappointments, but God always, is, always nourishes them and takes care of them. And so, this woman also represents the church, the church who have been saved and rescued by Almighty God and now find themselves on a journey towards their promised land, facing many hassles and difficulties and diversions and distractions and abuse along the way, but they're never abandoned because God is always with them. God is always providing for them. God is always guiding them, taking care of them. And how long does that journey take? How long does it go on for? 1,260 days, verse 6, or time and times and half a time, verse 14, which is 42 months, which is three and a half years. Still with me? And if you were here two weeks ago, you will remember that this is a reference to the time that the first century Christians found themselves in, also to the time that we as 21st century Christians find ourselves in, because what is that time? That time is the time between the coming of Jesus first time and the coming of Jesus the second time. That is these last days that we're in. So who or what is the woman? The woman is the people of God represents Israel before Jesus. Who is the woman? The woman is Mary, mother of Jesus. Who is the woman? She is the church all at once. Why? Because she's a sign. On to character number two, the ominous character, a red dragon. But again, notice how he's introduced, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. Who's that? Well, Luke, verse 9 with me, it explicitly tells us who it is. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. So, he's named. He's identified. And what's he like? Go back to verse 3 with me, which again, the description's odd. It's weird. But the symbolism and the implications are serious. Behold, a great dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and on his heads, seven diadems. Seven and ten, if you've been tracking this series with us, seven and ten are numbers of completeness. Head is a symbol of authority. Horns are the symbol of strength. Diadems are the symbol of wealth, and red is the color of blood. So, this dragon the devil, Satan, is significant, and he has significant influence. He has got authority, yes, on a leash, granted by God, but he has authority. He is strong. He is wealthy. That reference to him as the ancient serpent or depending on your translation, the serpent of old. It's clearly a flashback to the very beginning. Garden of Eden, where that ancient serpent of old caused mayhem, deceiving, accusing, destroying. You see, he, this dragon, has been around for a very long time, hell-bent on wrecking and ruining lives and God's everything. 
So he is not a trivial being. He is not without effect. But he is a defeated being. Verse 8, where after reference to a war in heaven between him and Michael and Michael's angels, it explicitly says he's defeated. And then if you were following closely, you will notice that six times in that chapter, we read that he's been thrown down. So although he is quite a character who should never be underestimated or downplayed, he's a defeated enemy. And he knows he's a defeated enemy because did you read what it said in verse 12? Because he knows his time is short. You see, the devil knows the story. The devil knows God's Word. The devil knows how this ends. He knows what lies ahead for him. And why does he know that? We'll come to that in a second. So he's defeated, but although he's defeated, he hasn't thrown in the towel. The devil hasn't packed it in, hasn't backed down, hasn't laid down. He isn't simply or somehow waiting for the inevitable. No. What do we read together? He's furious. Verse 17, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Get this bit, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. That's us. That's us. He is out now to get at us. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That, that's how someone else, somewhere else in the New Testament puts it. He's looking for someone to, to devour, which is an interesting idea given what we're about to discover whenever we turn to the third character. So, the red dragon, who is it? It's the devil. Satan. It's the ancient serpent. Although, as it does say here in Revelation 12, he's a sign. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great dragon. What did I say about a sign? A sign points beyond. And in chapter 13, we get to a sense of that because two beasts are introduced in chapter 13 who are clearly associated with the dragon. But that's for next time. Can't wait. Here's a question, by the way. Here's a question that I am, I am looking at advice. Do we keep going with Revelation in December? right? Or do we press pause for Advent and return to Revelation in 2024, okay? So, uh, I'm giving that over to you. For those of you who think, hey, let's do Christmas a bit differently this year. <laughs> if you really don't want to do the sentimental thing, we'll keep tracking Revelation, okay? But for those who go, wise up, David. Catch yourself on. Then we'll go for Advent, right? So, before next weekend, depending on the feedback, a decision will be made. Are you meant to do that? I don't know. Anyway, back to chapter 12. Right, so the third character. First character we've introduced, second character we've introduced, third character is a child. It's a male child. Verse 5 says this, she, that's the woman, gave birth to a male child. One who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Now, again, remember, constant echoes, references back to the Old Testament. That is a direct quote from Psalm 2. 
which is a messianic psalm. It is a psalm that talks about the Lord's anointed one who is coming. It's a psalm that talks about the promised coming son of the Lord, who would, as it says, rule the nations with an iron rod. So in other words, this is the Messiah. This is Jesus in Revelation 12. This is the first Christmas. Jesus is born. But did you notice what the dragon was at even on the first Christmas? And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might, there's this word again, devour it. Similar language to the lion prowling quote from 1 Peter. And do you remember how the devil tried to do that on the first Christmas? Herod became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under. Why did Herod do that? Because he tried to devour and kill Jesus. This is the nativity story from a different angle. As someone has said, Jesus' birth excites more than wonder it excites evil. The enemy was well aware what the birth of Jesus meant, and he tried to intervene. But John says more about this child, although he doesn't say a lot more. End of verse 5, look at this with me. It says this, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So, from birth to ascension, from manger to the throne of the universe, born into the world to be the king of the world. And as a result of his coming, and as a result of his entire life, which has collapsed in a sense into this sentence, and through his enthronement, so including his death and his resurrection, and again, there is reference to the blood of the Lamb in this chapter, but as a result of Jesus as a result of this child being born and being enthroned in heaven. Verse 10 says this, now, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ has come for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down. You see, that war in heaven that John refers to in verse 7 following is one. How is it one? How is the war in heaven one? It was won through the coming of Jesus to earth and all that he accomplished here. It's because of Jesus that Satan and sin and death have been defeated, and Satan knows it. And so here's how one not-so-well-known Christmas carol puts it. This little babe so few days old is come to rifle Satan's fold. All hell doth at his presence quake, though he himself for cold shake. You see, because of Jesus, the victory has been won. Now, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. Now. But although that is absolutely true, and many of us have embraced that, and many of us are living in light of that and in the wake of that, the victory has been won, praise God, yet the battle rages on. And as I said earlier, the devil, the Satan, the dragon, the serpent of old hasn't gone away. He's still alive and he's still active. And he's furious. He is still furious. He's maybe even more furious and angry. He knows 
that Jesus is coming soon. He knows that his time is limited. He knows his time is short. And he can't go after the child anymore. He can't go after Jesus. And so he's going to go after the woman. Verse 13 says that. And he is going to go after the people of God. He is going to go after the woman's offspring. Verse 17. Who are they? Verse 17 tells us it's those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. It's the church. It's us. And this is the way it is. And this war will rage until Jesus returns, until Jesus comes, and until we reach our promised land. So how does the devil come after us? How does he actually come after us? How did he come after the first Christians who are reading this letter? Because remember, it can't mean for them or for us what it didn't mean for them. Yeah, it's a letter written to them. So how does the devil come after them, and how does the devil come after us? Well, Revelation 12 suggests three ways. Look at this with me. First way the devil comes at us is by accusation. John calls the dragon the accuser of the brothers and sisters. The Hebrew word Satan means accuser. It's what he does. It's his nature. And according to verse 10, he accuses Christians day and night. It's relentless. He never lets up. So the devil loves to accuse and slander you before God. You're not worthy. You're not even worthy to be here this morning. Are you really forgiven? Should you really be taking communion? Why are you still doing that and thinking that and behaving like that? You're a fake. How could God really love you? I mean, His love is conditional, is it not? And you don't meet the conditions. You can't pray. You don't really believe this, do you? And on and on he goes. Underestimate the devil's accusations of you before God and you're in danger of entertaining his charges and assertions and he gets at you. The second way the dragon comes after us, according to verse 9, is by deception. Verse 9, John refers to him as, quote, the deceiver of the whole world. That's his M.O., that's his modus operandi. It's his manner of working. Why, what did Jesus call the devil the father of what? Lies. Elsewhere, we read that the devil masquerades as an angel of light. You see, Satan speaks and promises and fuels deceit and lies. He specializes in them. And again, if we underestimate him, if we're not aware of his schemes, we are in danger of buying into his lies and duplicity. And so what is true will get lost, or what is true will get twisted, including what is true of Jesus, including what is true about your identity in Christ, or what is true about the fact that you really are saved, that you really have been rescued, that you really are on this journey toward the promised land. It'll all get twisted. You'll lie about, is, is Jesus really coming again? Come on. But in these last days for so long, is he really coming? It's a lie. And he deceives. 
And the third way the dragon comes after us is by seeking our destruction. That's why he's red, the color of blood. Now, he cannot and he will not succeed because of Jesus. But it's still his express intention. So he still prowls. He's still seeking to devour you. On one occasion, Jesus said that he came to give life in all its fullness, whereas the thief comes to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, in that context, I know some of you are thinking, hold on a wee minute, in that context was Jesus not referring to false teachers? Yes, he was, but ultimately, who is behind false teaching? You see, Satan is intent on destroying our faith undermining it, draining the life out of it. And if we underestimate him, we're left exposed. So much of this connects to the teaching we find in Ephesians 6 about wearing and putting on the armor of God. 